Hey, this is Kate. Welcome to Two Pastors. Take a walk and make a podcast. This is Yolando, and as always, we're talking about what is astonishing us, what we're thinking about, and what we're preaching. So what is astonishing you? Well, I am astonished by the nearness of Advent. Um, And when I say the nearness of Advent, I don't mean simply the to-do list of it all. I do have a lot of things to do uh, in preparation for Advent, but what I mean by that is, you know, every year I sense this call of the Spirit to be intentional about my prayer life during the season of Advent. Um, And for our listeners who are in a Christian tradition that doesn't celebrate Advent, we should probably define it, Uh, Advent is the four weeks before Christmas. It's a season of of spiritual preparation, anticipation to celebrate the birth of Jesus, not only the birth of Jesus, but the second coming of Jesus at the end of the age. And uh, weeks ago, I started feeling this, this need to, to pray. And I do every Advent, and it, it never ceases to astonish me. And... It's odd because, you know me, I'm an introvert, and so there are a lot of times I don't have a lot to say, Uh, but during this season of Advent, it is very easy for me to go away with my Bible and just talk and listen to God for long periods of time. And I'm I'm a person that, I, I like to pray, but I spend all year, it seems, moving further and further away from the life of prayer that I want and crave. And the season of Advent draws me back every year. And I'm a person that believes that prayer matters, that when I pray, it does more than make me feel better. When I pray, it does more than changes me in my praying and being with God. It does that, but there's more. I believe that when I pray, things happen in the real world that wouldn't happen otherwise. So I have the strong theology of prayer. I love to pray. And yet the season of Advent every year reminds me that somehow I've gotten off track. And there's this um, kind of sweet drawing of the spirit say hey remember this time remember uh, this this spiritual preparation time and so i started feeling that weeks ago um so that that's what's astonishing me um, that once again i'm in that place of i need to return and draw close to god that's interesting because i um was also I mean, we've talked before how sometimes any discipline can feel artificial, and that's the point of having a discipline that you do something even when you don't feel like it or even when it doesn't appear that it's going to be fruitful. And so for me, um, this moment of, you know, covenanting that we're going to start with naming what's astonishing in... um, in the reality of this life we have with God and this peculiar life we have as pastors can feel really artificial to me. And yet I think that's part of the point because part of our call and privilege is to cultivate an awareness of what God is doing, that our congregations have gifted us the ability to have space to discern those things. And, and so there are, there's just times when we are not, we're not feeling it or there's no like gasp, heart in my throat incident or story of just the beauty and power and presence of God in the congregation or, or there are, but we, we don't, we don't see them anymore. We, you know, we just want a next hit instead of an awareness of how glorious 
what we have is. Anyway, so I am sort of in that place, and I know it's not um it's not a reflection of what God is doing, but it is a reflection of kind of where I am mm-hmm. and and so I was also thinking about what am I astonished about, and I'm astonished um also at just the nearness of advent and <laughs> for you i I think it's very much our wiring, which I think we're going to talk about later that mm-hmm. for you is a a, a drawing to prayer and for me it is just a glimpse of relief and light that um, advent for me is a reminder that God is breaking in and doing things mm-hmm. that I am not a part of that I am not responsible for that I am not causing that I am not expecting um, and that's really mm-hmm astonishing and wonderful when you get into a place where you have good work to do and meaningful work to do but it's easy to just it's easy to fall into the trap of believing that what God is going to do is dependent upon your discipline or your hard work or your faithfulness or your gifts or your talents and Advent is this interruption of your even faithful religious busyness to say actually um our hope and in our faith is in what happens when god interrupts uh, and god's own initiative self-funded by god and and plops that down in the middle of this life that we are trying to create in response to God. So I am just... And calls us to respond to what God is doing. Correct. And and to glorify that. Mm-hmm. And that our role mm-hmm. is just to glorify that. So I am I am astonished that Advent is coming and I am sort of just weary and, and relieved for this reminder that um, as, as the world is winding something down, God is beginning something new and that we're out of step and out of time. And that's good, good news to me. Um, you know, that our job in this season is is just to light a candle and remember what God has done. I'm grateful that Advent is coming. It, it, can't come too soon <laughs> so um so what are you thinking about what uh, we had to... we had a good conversation on our yeah. walk about how we are wired um mm-hmm. and uh, seeking to discern the spirit with different wiring that you are wired in a way that um you have a if you were a computer you would have a fast processor, right? <laughs> the ideas come like NASCAR <laughs> racing cars, you know, around the track. Like, I mean, NASCAR they, is a terrifyingly <laughs> good analogy to what might happen inside my mind. But, um, well, I think the initial question that I asked you, because um, we have been talking a lot at the Grove about one of our guiding principles at the Grove is we seek to be led by the Holy Spirit. And, what does it look like to be a, a community that really takes seriously? I mean, really, what we've just been talking mm-hmm, about mm-hmm. with Advent mm-hmm. is the idea that what matters is what God is doing, and we're simply responding to that and, and wanting to be led by the Holy Spirit and not by our preferences or our opinions or our best theological understandings, but really wanting to cultivate an awareness and a and a posture of um really vulnerability Mm -hmm. that says whatever you're doing god um it's going to be beyond what we could want or expect or imagine and we want to follow you we don't want to make plans and build towers of babel and ask you to please inhabit them even though god is gracious and god often often does um, just because that's, I think, what the mercy of God looks like. But we want to be a different kind of community. And so I was just saying, you know, for I know a lot of people, and I count you as one of these people, and, and your opening astonishment really 
um, really illustrates this. I know a lot of people who take very seriously and intentionally their life of prayer and that their life of prayer is a life of speaking, but also of listening Mm. and that they, when they seek to hear from God, what they will do is kind of take a time, set it apart, get really quiet Mm -hmm. um, and create space to, to hear. And I, that does not work for me. Um, That when I sort of, try to power everything down and concentrate and pay attention. For me, it's more like, like the image I have is like a clenched fist. Like Mm, I just, I get turned in on myself and I get sort of so caught up in, in like processing what I am or am not hearing that it just becomes this closed feedback loop. And I can't, I just can't discern beyond myself. So so going away and getting quiet, although I, I do that and it's, it's valuable, but for me, when I experience um, receiving something from the Holy Spirit that's not for myself, it's usually when I'm in a really unselfconscious place and that's usually not when I'm quiet and alone. That's usually, you know, when we're taking a walk and we're talking about something and because we have you know, 10 years of friendship and a lot of trust, I'm not really, you know, we're talking about something and I'm not really thinking about what I'm saying. I'm just saying Mm -hmm. something. And that's when I feel like I'm kind of out of the way and, and the spirit can reveal something to me. And definitely, I mean, I give myself a lot of grief about my sermon preparation process, um, which looks like I, I do a lot of um, work during the week of, um, you know, talking about, you know, what I'm wrestling with, with the text, with different people asking questions. I spend a lot of time and I love to spend a lot of time in the seminary library reading, you know, other scholars and what they've, um, been doing. And I write longhand, probably 10 or 15 pages of, you know, notes and insights. Um, and I'm just, you know, I'm processing a lot of what I think God is revealing, but I don't write. (laughs) I don't write until Sunday morning. And the reason for that is when I try to sit down on a Thursday and go, okay, I'm going to write this sermon. I just like, I can't, I get, I get so caught up in like what I'm creating and is it good enough? And I'll write one sentence and then I go back and erase that one sentence. And is this right? Like, I'm just, I'm just so self-aware of what I'm doing. And there's something about just the space of Sunday morning and it's quiet and nobody bothers me. And that's part of it. But also I just know like, this is the moment it it has to be done. You have a limited amount of time. Correct. And so I just, I'm not thinking about, is this good enough or is there another way or is it, you know, I just, I'm really like in that flow zone. And so often I just have this experience of, you know, I'm typing something and something comes out and it's just not something that I experience of having come from me. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and so what I believe with great humility and, you know, hopefully holy foolishness is I'm just kind of out of the way enough that I can be more of a conduit for God through the Holy Spirit revealing something to me. And so I think a lot of people get to that space by going off alone and being quiet. Mm-hmm. And I I don't. It, I, for me, I, I don't. And it's always been a really a struggle for me because all of the talk about how you're supposed to hear from God... None of it looks like that. Like, that's not how you're supposed to hear from God. You're not supposed to, you know, get a revelation from the Holy Spirit while you're having a conversation with someone else. And you're not supposed to get a revelation from the Holy Spirit while you're writing a sermon two hours before you preach it. That's not (laughs) supposed to be the way it happens. And I've spent a lot of my life trying to force myself to hear from God in the right way. And I'm just coming to a place in my life where I really want to be open to the fact that maybe I am doing it wrong and maybe I need more discipline and maybe I need more time to go away and be quiet. But it seems to me like I'm wired in such a way, Mm -hmm. my monkey brain is such that 
I just need a certain level of distraction preoccupation to stop being so aware of myself and really just be able to be open to, you know, the, the things of God. So this has been a, a really vulnerable amount of self-disclosure <laughs> for me. So I would like to move on. Well, yeah. I would like to say that, you know, from my point of view, it's, it's simply different and not deficient. Mm-hmm. Um, and from the outside looking in, it just seems to me that you're wired in such a way and, and you said this word twice, and it caught my attention just now. You said the word flow. Mm-hmm. You need to be in a certain kind of flow. And then, you know, like, you know, a water coming out of a faucet. Once the water is out, that's when you examine it, mm-hmm. right? And that's when you do the, you know, discerning God. Where, where are you in this? And what's simply me? Mm-hmm. And someone wired like me before the water comes out, right? I'm, I'm examining, I'm, I'm, um, asking those questions before, um, I let it out. And so I can see how, I mean, we experience this every week or I experience this every week in you, like we're walking and just talking and you say something that's really deep and profound and we're both astonished by it. And I think that's the work of the spirit. I do too. And I think it's just come, I just think that I am coming to recognize that what, you know, what my, what my friends who have come up in the charismatic movement or, you know, they, that what they experience in a particular way of prayer, it's the same thing that I experience just in a totally different context. And I, and I limit that. I said specifically my charismatic friends, because I have to say in, in all reality, my Presbyterian friends don't talk about this. And a lot of my evangelical friends, not all, but a lot of my evangelical friends just don't talk about this. Like you, I do think it's true that like for a lot of us in the mainline churches, we have a theology of the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. and a theology of the Trinity, mm-hmm. but what we don't have and frankly maybe don't want is a practice of trying to engage the Holy Spirit or, or be in relationship to the Holy Spirit. And so I do feel like, you know, if you don't want to be, um, if you don't want revelation, if you don't seek it, mm-hmm. then it can be hard to get it. Right. I mean, yes. And I think that God still sends it, but I mean, I also think that we, you know, we find, we find what we're looking for. Yes. And one of the things that we said on the walk a little while ago was that, you know, it's the desire of our hearts as pastors to help the, the people um, God has given us to walk with to see themselves within um, the realm of being able to hear from God, right? Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. Mm-hmm. You know, they know me and they follow me. Uh, and so we want this kind of life, this kind of spiritual life, this kind of hearing from the Spirit uh, for everybody, it's not limited to clergy types preparing for sermons. Right, and I, I, I think we've said this before on the podcast. I know you and I have talked about it. I think it's really interesting that as a church that provide prizes and and, and is proud of being a reformed mm-hmm. <laughs> denomination, that in very real ways we have recreated kind of the system that Martin Luther railed against mm-hmm. that, you know, sort of the the tagline of the Reformation is you don't need an institution and you don't need a priest to be a mediator between you and God. But in many mainline congregations, even as we prize that doctrine and prize that theology, experientially, we're still looking to go to church and hear a sermon and that's how we hear from God. Or we'll still look to what is the position paper that the denomination is going to, you know, we're still looking for institutions and famous Christians to mediate our relationships with God. And we don't trust ourselves or trust God. I was going to say, we don't trust, we don't trust the spirit to speak to us through the written word. I mean, because one of the uh, emphasis of Martin, Martin Luther and John Calvin was that we need to put the text in the hands of people. Right. And how wonderful it is in our day. I mean, you can pull up your right. cell phone, pull out your cell phone, and not only get an English translation, but English translations 
at various reading levels. Right. So we have the uh, tools. We well, need. we have such an abundance because I also, and I try to say this often in the, to the congregation because I really think this is true. And I, and I, and I speak to myself too. Reading about the Bible yeah, is not, not, the, it's same not the same thing as reading the Bible. Yes, yes. And so I think, I mean, to your point, like we don't need to let, and I, listen, I, I believe <laughs> that I spend more time, that you and I spend more time mm-hmm you know, with the scholars reading our text right. than I think 90% of pastors that we know. Mm. So it's not an anti-intellectual, anti it's not that. But to say, I, you do not need to let scholars be your mediators between you and the Holy Spirit. So do you want to study these things? Absolutely. Because all truth is God's truth. But you also want to allow the Holy Spirit to speak directly to you through these texts so that you don't always need to go looking to other people to say, what does this mean? Mm -hmm. Now you can go look, please go to the scholars and say, help me understand, you know, what this, what this, the definition of this word, or help me understand what was happening in the lives of the people, or help me understand this custom, help me understand the text. But when it comes to deciding what does this mean in my life, that should be a question that you at least ask the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. And I think a lot of times when we go to the Holy Spirit, we are always saying, and this is good. I mean, it's good to say, well, this is what's happening in my life, God, or this is my problem, God. And that's great. You should, we should do that. But I also think it's just important that we allow God to have a conversation with us beyond the scope of our own experience. And so that that's why it's helpful to read the text with the Holy Spirit and say, like you're reading Chronicles right now, just to be able to say, I'm sure there's very little in your life that you would intentionally say, oh, you know, <laughs> this is exactly like yes. what I'm experiencing building with temple. Matthew or with Han. <laughs> yeah. But because you're allowing, it's just different ground for conversation that the Holy Spirit can have with you because you're pondering this text instead of just pondering the text of your life. It's not yes. either or. It's both I've been either. listening to people at Dorita Church talk about their engagement with the scriptures, and um, I, f- I finally got something. Uh, they said, I, I've, I've heard people say over and over, my problem is that when I read, I don't understand everything. Mm-hmm. And so I get to tell people, no one reads Genesis to Revelation and goes, I got it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I understand everything. Um, I, and I love the uh, the guys who do uh, the Bible Project uh, mm-hmm. podcast. One of the things that they've said over and over again, which I love, is that the Bible is Hebrew meditation literature. So that when you read, there's supposed to be things that make you go, huh? Mm-hmm. I don't get that. Well, why was this detail left out? Why don't... Why did God reject Cain's offering? And it's supposed to make you stop and think and ask questions. Yeah, and I I love this idea that there are intentional gaps in the text, and the gaps in the text that force you to ask those questions create space where God can give you your answer. So well, it, because it, it's not. Um, Again, we in the Reformed tradition are often engaging the Bible from the neck up. Mm-hmm. Those gaps in the text are meant to make you seek God, like actually talk to, seek after God and not solve an intellectual question. Right, because I do think that, I mean, that's a great example. If it, anyone who reads the story of Cain and Abel, one question you're just naturally going to ask is, God, why did you accept Cain's offering? And the next question that I think if you're honest, you're going to ask is, God, do you accept my offerings, right? Are my, is my life acceptable to you? And then asking that question creates a space where the Holy Spirit can really speak and what and how God would answer that question to you and how God would answer that question to me. It's going to be really different because a difference, and in different seasons, I think God would answer that question really differently, that there would be some seasons when God would want to give us a word of encouragement and there are other seasons where God might want to give us a word of admonishment or rebuke and we have to be and because I think that you let us 
off the hook a little bit earlier when you said, you know, people don't seek this because they don't trust God to reveal it. I don't think that's it. Mm. I, I think people don't trust themselves. I don't think that people trust their ability to hear correctly and not, you know, we did talk about that. Yeah. Yeah, I I, I just think people think, well, I'll get it wrong or I don't, Mm -hmm. I can't be trusted with that kind of power or, or, and, and, or God, you know, once I know something, I'm responsible for it in a different way. And I don't want to be responsible. we, We have to be clear and honest that there are a lot of people in our part of the body of Christ well, they just don't believe that God does that anymore. They just right. don't believe that God speaks to individuals, that God, um, yeah, speaks to people. Well, and I think it's interesting because it, particularly if we're talking about Presbyterians, what I feel like mm-hmm. in my experience of a lot of leaders in our tradition is they'll fight you to the death about the doctrine yeah. that God speaks to every person and the Holy Spirit is is available to every person and the priesthood of all believers. But when it comes to what kinds of behavior they encourage in their different communities, they encourage an expert sage on the stage culture in their congregations or in their institutions. And this idea that I'll tell you if that's right or wrong, right? Or here's what this should mean to you. And even as they would say, you know, there is this idea that like, well, I mean, isn't like, for example, a lot of times in our congregations, I hear a lot of, again, I'll just talk about Presbyterian pastors. I hear a lot of Presbyterian pastors making fun of or disparaging um, pastors in other traditions. Um, primarily, it's going to be like a Stephen Furtick or a Joel Olstein. So, I mean, they're definitely punching up. Mm-hmm. Definitely, they're <laughs> punching up. But... I don't think that we pay attention to how that might, how we might unintentionally be disempowering and distancing members of our congregation. That if I, sitting in a sanctuary on Sunday morning, hear the pastor on the platform disparage Stephen Furtick for being such an idiot mm-hmm. and getting this wrong, and Stephen Furtick has a congregation of whatever, two billion people. Mm-hmm then how do I, as a person sitting in the pews, feel like I could have the... I mean, like, if he's getting it wrong (laughs) and people are mocking him in the body of Christ, then how would I want to take the risk of saying, you know, I think I heard this. I think, yes. I I just wouldn't do it because I've been effectively disenfranchised and disempowered and effectively told, no, the person who went to seminary is the arbitrator of how God speaks or doesn't speak or you know and wow this is making me uh think about something that i do in sermons that i probably should do more often so when i'm engaged during the week um, in sermon preparation one of the things i pray as i'm studying it's like god what do you want to say through this text to me and what do you want to say to us as a congregation? Mm-hmm. And every once in a while, I will actually say in the preaching moment, mm-hmm. in the sermon, this is what God wants to say to us today in, mm-hmm. from this text. Um, not just let me, let me give you the points, let me give you the doctrine, let me give you what mm-hmm. it says and what it means. But God is saying this to us today because of this text. Mm-hmm. And I don't do that enough. I think it, like mm-hmm. as I'm preparing... Um, and I think I'm putting that into the sermon, but I often don't explicitly say, this is what God is saying. Um, yeah, I mean, and I, I would have to say, I would feel more comfortable, and obviously my comfort <laughs> is something we should all discern by. But I mean, I would feel more comfortable saying, I believe this is what God wants to say to us today, as opposed to, you know, thus say the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, I'm coming down from Mount Sinai um, with, you know. But I, but the other thing I want to just circle back, um, and, and we were saying this on the walk too, is that the other problem with sort of publicly lifting up, not, I think it's always right to lift up bad theology and just sort of say, hey, this idea isn't in line with the revelation of scripture and here's why. Mm-hmm. But there's a way to do that without mocking or deriding the person speaking it or even really impugning different yes. morals to well, them. What, what's happening a lot today, especially in the Facebook, YouTube world, um, 
is that when we disagree with someone, we quickly put them in the category of heretic. Yeah, or we just do ad hominem attacks, right? We just say, like, you you said this thing and it's because you're a bad part, like you're mm-hmm. a bad, worthless human. And, and so I think it's fine. And I think I did it this past Sunday to sort of, I was preaching about Paul and the thorn in the flesh and lifting up this idea of super apostles and sort of saying, hey, there's a theology of, of human greatness mm-hmm. that is really prevalent right now and is really dangerous. And we need to know why that's not right and um, and what the alternative is. And, um, you know, you try to be funny or you try to whatever, be engaging, but you don't have to lift up particular people and say they're horrible people, but just to say this is a really destructive theology. And I think it's really important to separate the people from the ideas because not only if you take a big swing and a bash at Stephen Furtick, um, not only do you make people think, well, gosh, how can, how can, if he's not getting it right, then how could I expect to get it right? But also you're unintentionally communicating to people that the worst thing they can be is wrong. And I think if we want to be a culture of people who are trying to be led by the Holy Spirit, then it needs to be a culture that just accepts that sometimes you're going to get it wrong and to get it wrong honestly is not a sin, right? Like we need to be a culture where people feel like they can say, I think the Holy Spirit might be telling me to do X, or I did that thing because I felt like the Holy Spirit was calling me to do it. And I, and I was, it was wrong. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I missed it. I thought it was the Spirit, but in retrospect, I can just see that it was me and I can apologize. And people aren't going to be like, you idiot. Yeah. But you know, people would be like, yeah. oh, what, you know, the particular thing might've been incorrect, but your posture of trying to hear and respond to the Holy Spirit yes. is something we want to encourage. And honestly, you can't grow better at hearing from the Holy Spirit without making mistakes. Like you can't yes. be good at something without first being bad at something. So I want to celebrate even even the missteps, right? And so that's really important that we just create a culture where honestly trying to serve God and getting something wrong is not something that we disparage or despise, but that really we can honor. Like we can honor a person even in their humanity. And I, and I just think that's a really important thing to do because, you know, we're using that image and this will probably be coming to a sermon at the Grove soon, but like that idea of, I think a lot of times <laughs> it, it reminds me of um, like a, in baseball, in baseball movies, let me be clear, because I don't watch baseball, but I do watch baseball <laughs> movies. And there's this trope that like the cat, the catcher calls the pitches for the pitcher. And often the pitcher will shake off the sign that the catcher is giving because the pitcher doesn't trust that it's the right call and the pitcher doesn't trust. And in movies, usually the catcher is right and the pitcher is wrong, right? Because the pitcher is caught up in fear or ego or whatever. And I feel like a lot of believers, they're like looking at the Holy Spirit, trying to figure out what to do. And the Holy Spirit gives them a word or gives them a sign and you just shake it off. You think, oh no, that person won't want to hear from me. Or, oh, I shouldn't ask that person that. Or, oh, I shouldn't say this. Or I shouldn't try that. And we just shake it off, shake it off, shake it off. Because we're not sure and we don't trust the catcher and the reality is the Holy Spirit. And the reality is the only way you learn to trust is to, you know, throw the sign, right? Like the only way you learn to recognize and trust is if you take the risk and and do the thing. And then you learn like, whoops, that wasn't right. right. Or and whoops, you're right. Was. There's gotta be room to say, I got that one wrong. Let's try again. And I I'm repent. still right. Yeah. Or and even like I don't I don't have to repent for being well, human, right? Well, you do have to say... You can acknowledge it. That, that, and that's what right, I mean by yeah. remit. You, you you repent, return to God, let's let's try again. Uh, someone helped me with this very thing early on um, in ministry. Um, I remember I was saying uh, to someone not in the church that I was serving, uh, someone who was a member of a uh, charismatic Pentecostal church uh, in our town, um, uh, and I was saying to this person... I just want to get it right. I just want to make the right decision. I just want to get it right. I just want to make the right decision. And this person said to me, well, Yolando, if you misstep, if you go down the wrong road, no worries. 
the Holy Spirit knows where to find you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. you are not lost. You, you you can start again. So, you know, and that's, step boldly. Yeah, if you and think the Spirit's leading you in a particular direction, go. Go there, go there and go there unapologetically by saying, like, I... I'm doing what I believe the spirit has called me to do. Mm-hmm. And if and if it's a home run, great. If it's a swing and a miss, great. Because what I'm demonstrating is I'm a person who's trying to follow the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. and I'm not ashamed of that. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's again more of that theology of weakness that we were talking about on Sunday, the idea that Paul is saying, like, you know, a, a super apostle wants to show up and say, I'm the best, I'm the handsomest, mm-hmm. I'm the richest, I've got the biggest crowds, and I never get it wrong. And that's not I mean, that's not the, that is idolatry and that is ego Mm -hmm. and that, and, and Paul is willing to show up and saying like, here I am in all of my weaknesses. And not only am I not ashamed of my weaknesses, I'm boasting in my weakness because I don't want anyone to be impressed by me. I want people to be impressed by God. And so if I take a wrong turn and go far down the wrong path and God comes back and rescues me, well, what that is, is a testimony that glorifies God and not me. And that's a great testimony. And that's a testimony the world needs. What the world does not need is more people saying, I'm super, and so God is super to me because I'm super. And if you get super like me, then then God will be super to you, right? Like that's yeah. not the gospel. And well, and and you know, to bring balance to this, there there are parts of the body of Christ that take this to silly world, correct? Right? So that every thought, every impulse, every feeling, well, that must be God, correct? Right? But that's not. The issue in our part of the correct, body of Christ, correct. Of Christ. We, we're, we're the opposite. We, we have to step into embracing the voice and uh, the moving of the Spirit. Uh, what are you preaching about on Sunday? Well, this Sunday is the last Sunday, if you're following the traditional Christian calendar, it's the last Sunday of the Christian year. And yes. traditionally, it is called Christ, Christ the, the King, King Sunday. I... And it's one of those traditional things that um, I have not let go of. Like, you know, I do Advent and, you know, Christmas, of course, and Easter and Good Friday and, you know, who doesn't love Pentecost Sunday? But Christ <laughs> a the, lot of people. The answer well, to that is a lot of I people. I love Pentecost but Sunday. Yes. yes. Um, but Christ the King Sunday uh, still grabs me as high and holy. And so one of the traditional texts for uh, this Sunday is Colossians chapter 1. Um, says that the Son is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of creation. And um, in most Bibles, that that particular section of Colossians chapter 1, I believe, beginning with verse 15, is often entitled, you know, the supremacy of Christ. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we're looking at uh, this this Sunday. And um, I take great delight in preaching sermons about uh, the divinity of Jesus, that Jesus is not as you know, the Jehovah's Witnesses would say, a God. He is the God. He is he is the God of Israel, um, enfleshed, and um, he's the the text says the fullness of God dwells in him. And I know it's a lot of language that can seem um, theoretical and theological, but when you read that section of Colossians, it it reads like a poem, like a hymn. Uh, it is it is great praise and honoring to the glory of the divinity of Jesus. And um, so I'm super excited to preach that. So I'm just laughing for two things. Apparently, I, <laughs> I knew that this was the last Sunday of the church year, and but I did not intend to preach Christ the King, but, but it's enough to make you believe in the Holy Spirit because apparently I, I am because I'm preaching... Um, you know, Samuel anointing David. That's and right. I already knew that I was going to do the move to Jesus being the greater David. But it is interesting to to think about that. And, and on our walk, we had been talking about kingship and about how um, a lot of Christians have really um, made a deliberate move away from the language and metaphor of king and kingship. And I was saying 
um, that I think that's a real loss. I don't have an issue with it if it's a gender thing, because I do think that we still conceive way too much of God as masculine in lots of really unhelpful ways. But I think the idea of... A kingdom. Kingdom, dominion, monarchy, reign, um, the idea of God and Jesus being in those roles. Like I, and not only do I think we need to not run away from them, I need to think we need to lean into them um, because I think they're really healthy and fruitful and generative not any human construct of kingship at all but to say this concept of a ruler who is wise and just Just, and kind and merciful and good and at the same time all powerful all powerful like that is and, and that you know because the idea of any human institution or person being all powerful is terrifying yes. but the idea of god being all powerful is deeply freeing and comforting and life-giving right and so i don't want to move away from the language of god as king i want to move into it and really explore what that means and so i'm excited about that this sunday and excited about also you know in the context of the god of small things saying you know that what that what is small and despised and and swept away in the world are are the very places where the dominion of god is is manifest but i also just was thinking for you just going where you're going with colossians and being where we are in this cultural moment um, I mean, and I would do it too, but it just doesn't fit the narrative of what I'm doing. But maybe I'll write something about it. I, I think it's interesting since white supremacy is having this moment of resurgence um, and this, um, you know, this evil resurfacing. And, and I do mean resurfacing because it's always been there. It just hasn't been at the surface in right. the same way that it is right now. To really preach about the supremacy of Jesus just just a really helpful thing to say to people, you can be a white supremacist if you want to be, but do not live with the delusion that you can be a white supremacist and a Christian and a Christ follower because you can't um, for obvious reasons that, you know, Jesus, your Lord was brown. So there's that. <laughs> but even if I wanted to move beyond that to say only one is supreme and that is God and the only human who is rightfully supreme is God incarnate in Jesus Christ and all other of the one human race and the many ethnicities are at the level foot of the cross absolutely surrendered in worship and so you know just to really clearly lay that out and I think as much as sometimes we think that oh everybody knows this People don't know this or they get exposed to just really bad blasphemous theology. And because we've never bothered to articulate the alternative, they're vulnerable. Well, our mind is um, set up so that we have different categories. We have our church and our religion Mm -hmm. category. And then we have our politics and our news category. And we have home uh, and family category, right? We have those sections of our brains. And so... Um, it's it's easy for us to be in church on Sunday morning and hear the good news of Jesus and then go home and watch the news and see all these terrible things, all mm-hmm. these isms, and become terribly afraid and fail to remind ourselves that Jesus is supreme, that the, that the king who... Um, walked with the poor, who had compassion on the Mm -hmm. sick, who died for us, who shed his blood for us, who suffered and died for us, that he reigns. Right, and so we need to get in line with his reign. But I I think two things. One is we, I mean, this, this whole idea of like renewing your mind in Christ, like too often, because we haven't been really clear in our worshiping communities, people see Jesus through the lens of the world instead of seeing the world through the lens of Jesus, right? And so that is just a huge problem and one we need to name and correct. And then, you know, beyond that... Oh, go ahead. Oh, well, I'm sorry. I just... There's a part of the text where um, the writer of Colossians says... uh, Well, he speaks about the lordship of Jesus. And um, one of the things that comes up in me every time I read that section is that we often want Jesus in this society, in this culture, 
to be our mascot. And when you say we see um, Jesus through the eyes of the world, that's what I hear. We, we have a, a very domesticated Jesus yeah. so that Jesus is my cheerleader to help me fulfill my purpose and my vision, the thing that I want to do. Jesus will help me do that mm-hmm. instead of seeing Jesus. I can do all things. Uh, yes, and he will, he will help me do yeah, all, the, things. all things that I want. And all things are the things I want. Instead yes. of seeing him as the one on the throne, and I am serving him. I think that is the, the challenge of many, to, is to see ourselves in the place of privileged to serve this king. And to that end, it's really just important to say, to really say there's only one reason to follow Jesus. And the only reason to follow Jesus is if you look at what Jesus is doing and say, I believe in that. Can't do it, but I believe in that and I want to be a part of that, right? So it's not about what you're saying, like Jesus is my Red Bull and like the extra boost I need to live my best life. Now, it's to say like, no. Jesus is my Red Bull. (laughs) You know, I have the revelation of scripture is audacious to say that God is redeeming this world in this particular way. And, you know, to Mary's Magnificat, you know, those who are on top now are going to be pushed down and those who are at the bottom are going to be pushed up. And if that sounds like good news to you, then then you want to follow Jesus. If that sounds like bad news to you, then I don't know why you're following Jesus, right? Because Jesus is not here to make you be able to get a million followers and your product pitched on Shark Tank. Like that's not the salvation or the abundant life that Jesus is offering us. So if the abundant life that Jesus is offering in the gospels sounds good to you, then you might want choose to follow. But honestly, this is the problem why if like all you know about Jesus is what you've heard different pastors preach, then you you might not believe in what Jesus is doing in the world. So you might want to actually read the Gospels for yourself yes. and find out if you want that or not, because yes. you might not want it. Yes, yes. And when I talk to a lot of young people in our community, in our, in our neighborhood, uh, not our church community, but in our neighborhood, um, I find that the Jesus they are rejecting like me not, too. It's not the Jesus right. of the Bible, right? Right. right. So I'm, I'm so excited. I, I just announced to our elders that our theme for 2020 is going to be, it's all about Jesus. And as a congregation, we're going to spend the year reading through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I've calculated that if you simply read a chapter and a half a week, not a day, a week, you can read through the four gospels in... I think like 11 months or something like mm-hmm. that. And so, yeah, we want this year to be all about Jesus, mm-hmm. knowing mm-hmm. the real Jesus of scripture. Mm-hmm. And no, like no filter, no mediator, just saying like, I mean, you're still going to have, you're still going to be interpreting it through your experience and through your exposure, yes. but you just want to give yourself some time to really be exposed to straight Jesus, no chaser and mm-hmm. say, do I want this? Mm-hmm. Because, um, maybe you don't. <laughs> And I think there are a lot of people in the church who, who have been given a false gospel, and that's not their fault. Um, and they're trying to get Jesus to support their agenda, and it doesn't work. Or they're twisting the words of Christ to you know, support an, a cultural agenda, and it, and it doesn't work. And so we need to you know we need to be really resolute about that and the other thing i wanted to say was um i i think that we need to be really aware that there are people in our lives who are very susceptible and particularly young people and particularly i think um young men and especially young white men who are being very deliberately targeted and recruited online to a certain ideology of hatred and supremacy and exclusion and as people who follow Jesus it's not just enough to say well you know I would never go down that road but it's really important for us to recognize that the people who go down that road you would like to believe that they're made of something different than you are like you Mm. would like to believe that Dylan Roof was just born with a tail that got cut off him, but you know, like you like to believe like the good son, like there are just, but it's not true. Like the human heart is 
malleable and it's formed by whatever culture that it's in unless it's rescued by Jesus. And so we just need to recognize that people are really vulnerable to an ideology of hate and, um, you know, just toxic um, indifference to Mm. suffering. And so we need to really understand not just that we reject those things, but why we reject them. Like why is saying Jesus Christ is Lord completely incompatible with an ideology of white supremacy? And everybody of every race in every church needs to not just know that, but to be able to articulate why it's wrong. Because I promise you that there are people out there proof texting different verses from the Bible who can tell you why it's right. And so if we just trust that like, oh, we're good people, then that's where the sheep and our flocks are really vulnerable. And that is not about partisan politics. That's just about saying, you know, you can be a Republican and a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. You can be a Democrat and a faithful follower of Jesus Christ, but you cannot be as a white supremacist. Mm. And so we, we have to be able to name what that ideology is and how it's creeping in all kinds of places um, where, where people don't recognize that they're being influenced by it. So mm, That's good. Anyway, exciting. That's exciting for Christ the King. That makes me realize that will be a really interesting thing to me for me to do with the children's sermon, is just to name this is who's supreme for us, and this is what that means. And there's a great um, video that's funny um, BBC three and it's called like, so, I mean, you can search for it by white Jesus, but this guy is in a cathedral and he's praying and Jesus comes and Jesus is black and he's like super surprised. <laughs> the guy's like, were you expecting that guy? And he posts to, you know, points to the famous picture of blonde hair, blue eyed Jesus. Yeah. And, and then at one point he says, um, he says, well, would you be more comfortable if I got white Jesus? And the guy's like, oh, yeah, really? Would you do that? And he's like, no! Wow. <laughs> wow. Anyway, so I, wow. I think that's just sort of a helpful yes. way to say, like, Jesus is gotta remember he's a, You only get one. Gotta, but got to remember, he's a first century Palestinian Jew. Who was, you know, had to flee into exile, who was a refugee, who was well, arrested and, and tortured and executed by the state. Yes. And if you don't find yourself with any alignment then you i mean you at least want to pay attention to that um so i've i've run out of things to articulately say so can we just (laughs) i haven't run out of things to say i've just run out of things now you're laughing so hard that you can't even join in i need you to stop we're done and so thank you for listening to us you've been so funny all day Oh, um, if you want to find out more about Yolanda's church and um, what God is doing there, you need to search for Dorida Presbyterian Church on Google and it will pop you over to their website. And if you want to hear his sermons, which I recommend, um, then you want to look at the Podbean website and search for Dorida Presbyterian Church. And if you um, want to learn more about The Grove, you can go to thegrovecharlotte.org and you can search for um, the Sermons at the Grove on iTunes. Um, look for The Grove Charlotte and you will find them all there. So thanks for listening and we'll see you next week.